Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, and welcome to Is It My ADHD? The podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Grace Timothy and I'm a writer and I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37. I'd struggled with traits I now know to be ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until a routine hearing appointment with a doctor who happened to have ADHD himself that these traits were pieced together and it was suggested that I get referred for an assessment. Had it not been for that random moment with an audiologist, I'd still be undiagnosed now and still struggling, just like the two million women thought to have undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people, in whom ADHD is so often missed, thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is all heavily skewed to the white male case study. I've therefore spoken to some incredible women about how ADHD affects their lives, exploring everything from friendship and work to dating and self-esteem. I've also pulled in some experts along the way to help us tackle the big questions from you and from my guests. Is it my ADHD when I ghost old friends, for example? Is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? And is it my ADHD when I share nudes on Instagram? My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people, and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support, we can be truly amazing. Today we're going to be talking about the world of work. Without ADHD, I would be a completely different worker. Half of my strengths, the speed, efficiency, focus, fearlessness and creativity, are undoubtedly down to my ADHD. I don't require breaks or incentives, I just love to work. And some of the associated impairments will also impact the way in which I work, of course, such as working memory dysfunction, restlessness, perfectionism, boredom, imposter syndrome, and a seemingly irrational sense of being able to excel in some areas but fall short in others. Perhaps if you're a woman, you're nodding along. 
the demands placed on women to juggle home and work life, to be a caregiver and nurturer to all, to be emotionally available and organised, and often to keep house clean, children happy and food cooked, are overwhelming. Not to mention the constant pressure to hold your own space within a patriarchal employment system. But with ADHD, it's the intensity with which you experience these impairments that differs, and the outcomes. We are more likely to quit a job or be fired. I was able to mask to an extent, but the personal cost of that was having nothing left for anyone else when the working day was done. I'm joined today by Anita Bagwandas, an award-winning beauty journalist, a columnist for The Guardian, and soon-to-be published author. Her book, Ugly, is out in June 2022. Anita and I have worked in the same industry as beauty journalists and in very similar settings for years now and are both now freelance, having worked out it's what suits us best. Although, of course, it's not without its challenges. Hello, Anita, and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. This is fun. I should sort of preface any chat that we have with the fact that as soon as I had any inkling of ADHD as a possibility, I knew that Anita had already been diagnosed what about six months I think before yes yeah and so I was immediately on on whatsapp with her and we I mean like our exchanges are like almost daily aren't they really about yeah symptoms and quirks and traits and all the good stuff um so there's a lot of stuff I think that we have learned like off the back of sharing them with each other right yeah absolutely I think because we have both had similar career trajectories as well it's it's really interesting to I guess share those and sort of realized that it wasn't us and actually Mm. I mean it was because it was us but it was ADHD playing out in different circumstances that was causing some of the issues that we've both gone through I guess. So you were diagnosed in 2020? Yes I was yes. And how did you get to that that point? Um, Yeah that's a tricky one I sort of had been suggested to me in the past um, and I had just gone okay cool um and looked at some ways I could maybe just try and organize my time and bought myself loads of self-help books to just be more organized or just me you know just work smarter and not harder I really hate that phrase (laughs) um but uh, I don't think I really realized how much it was affecting me and I didn't really know that I had it in the way that I had it until it came to doing my book proposal which needed a lot of focused concentration attention research it was just a really big long process and I started to feel myself zone out and burn out I now know and I know that that process I I found really hard and I just I knew that I was finding that harder than I should I just thought something's not right here and I've thought that in the past before and I've always managed to have a little break and claw it back in some way but this time I was like nope I've got to do something about it. And then I just went on YouTube and I sort of looked into sort of inattentive ADHD, which I don't think a lot of people know about. And I was like, yeah, I've got this. I actually now know I've got elements of hyperactivity as well. But I was like, no, this is me. This is this is me. Um, and that made me go and get a diagnosis and, and go into that sort of whole process. And then in terms of the sort of aftermath of that, um, you know, did you, you know, have a sort of certain period of looking back at your career in particular and just going, oh, okay. Yeah, um, that looking back thing, I think, has been quite hard for me um, because I'm a bit guilty of sort of looking back at the past and thinking everything was terrible when actually there were great moments. And I've done a lot of amazing stuff in my career that 
I would never have got to do it otherwise and had amazing experiences. I've met amazing people. I've written amazing things. I've done some really cool stuff. But when I look back, I see overwhelmingly just struggle. Um, yeah. Sorry. What was the question? <laughs> That's such an ADHD thing to do. <laughs> ADHD. <laughs> um, no, just that you sort of do look look back with that that lens of ADHD. Mm. Um, and obviously, when you talk about the struggle. Uh, career-wise you know how how do you think it was ADHD that was sort of manifesting um I think partially boredom I know I'd get to a place where after I'd done one year on any particular magazine or title if it was if I'd had to come back to doing Christmas again or like summer tanning again I was like no no bored I was like my brain just can't cope with this I was like we've already done this I've got very I'm very sensitive to boredom I uh, I think as well, looking back, mm. organisation was always an issue. And I'd almost go over the top trying to organise things with like crazy, like folders and colour charts and this and that. Um, and when I was in the position when I was very junior and I was having to be an assistant to people, which I did twice, one in, once in features and once in beauty, I was terrible both times. And no matter what was really hard is that no matter how much I tried and I tried really hard, mm. I'd still mess things up. I would still miss like lose things or mess up details I still do it now I've had to buy printer cartridges three times because I've ordered the wrong ones three times like I literally did that a couple of weeks ago I don't know it's just this weird blind spot where you know I sometimes make mistakes even though I try and be meticulous and it used to happen all the time and when I look back I'm like no that was that was ADHD um I, hear you. You're, I think a lot of it comes down to boundaries when I look back I had no boundaries around the other people had neurotypical people had so they would clock off at the end of the night whereas I would if I wasn't working I was thinking about work constantly um I would take on extra responsibility at one point on one of the titles I was the beauty and features writer but I was also sort of unofficially the music editor because I've come from a background of music journalism on the weekend so I was doing all the music stuff on the weekend and I just was working seven days a week and yeah it's a real tendency to was going over the top and then burning out and that burnout has definitely been something that's happened to me a lot and happens very quickly I think the the boredom thing of will resonate with people outside of the industry as well right so you know I think there's there's always elements of a cycle at work I'm sure in, in you know there's like a financial cycle isn't there there's just the year end and all that kind of thing but I think with working in beauty it, it's so cyclical cyclical on so many levels isn't it it's like the fashion calendar so you're doing spring summer then you're doing autumn winter but then you're back to spring summer you know and then there's all the seasonal stuff outside of that as well of, of real life I think yeah I don't know the boredom thing really worries me because I think it's the one thing that I just don't think there's a lot you could do I, I obviously like you say varying your working space is amazing but like you know, we got to work. We do. Um, what I would say to that, and, you know, maybe this this doesn't apply to everyone, but where I have seen myself become bored is when I'm not challenging myself or being challenged. So I think we can always do that in different ways. So whether that is if you're at home and you've got, you know, you're in a more corporate environment or something like that, maybe there are courses that you can take or extra learning. I know for me in particular, I love learning new skills. Like that's one of my favorite things. So there are ways to kind of get around it. But I also know that for me in particular, and maybe this will resonate for the people, but I have to really believe in what I'm doing. And that can trigger that hyper focus and gets me through. And I think we've all got, I think people with ADHD have got very strong intuition on things. I think it's hard to listen to that when you've got so much noise in your head 
and from other people. And we can often outsource our internal voice to other people and listen to other people because we sort of feel like we should. But I think when we listen to ourselves, we know what we need to do and we know what's right and we know what lights us up. And sticking to that, I think, is crucial. So I know that's hard in different professions and different careers and different situations. But I know for me that just making sure that what I'm doing, I'm passionate about and I believe in on a sort of, I guess, almost like a moral basis, but also more more in a sort of like it feels like it's my mission in a way without sounding too mm. weird and preachy. It feels like it is my purpose to do this thing. And it feels very aligned with what I believe in. That, for me, has been where things have been the best. Well, where you can see personal growth in it as well. Like, if you feel like you've reached yeah. the sort of pinnacle of what you aim to do, then then it probably is time to move on, right? Yeah. Because I think it does make us kind of not more discerning, but, like, we want the best all the time. And we want to be challenged and stimulated and all that kind of thing. And that can be a really amazing thing. Like, as long as you're literally not kind of somewhere for six months and then moving on. <laughs> but it means that you, you're you quite demanding of yes. excellence and, and things being interesting and things, like you say, being morally correct and, and ethical and those kind of things. And that's a brilliant thing to have in an employee, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of people can see that. I think sometimes people can feel threatened by that. When, you're, when you can maybe come across as challenging constantly. And I have to be honest, I think that's something that people particularly dislike. If you're a person of colour, there is definitely an element of that. And I think just to sort of touch on that, I think having spoken to lots of women of colour I know in particular, it's, it's really hard to be in offices that are pretty much just white and set up, you know, in, in a very sort of structured, traditional western way you have to try and fit into a completely whole different sort of structure and hierarchy and in you know in different cultures as well and I'll say this of, of being South Asian we're, we're really brought up to not rock any boats and to be you know sort of to just go relatively unnoticed but just work really 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 hard so that we get where we want to go but that we don't ruffle any feathers on the way and that's you know that's a hard mentality to be in an office with particularly with ADHD because that butts against that because you are passionate and you are smart and you do have loads of ideas like and it can butt against that it can rub people up the wrong way because maybe they don't have that many ideas or maybe they find your perfectionism too hard which you know that's perfectionism isn't a good thing and when you're managing other people and your your expectations for yourself are super high often your expectations for other people are really high as well and they don't live up to that and that's hard and yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely challenges, for sure. So with the intersections of race and neurodivergence in mind, have you worked in offices, not necessarily just magazines, but any kind of, you know, em- employment setting where you have felt challenged and kind of unsupported? I mean, pretty much most of them, I would say. Part of that is because I didn't know I had ADHD. And, you know, had I have known, maybe that would have, would have been more of a priority I you know I'd hope so but I will sort of say also that particularly in the eras that I think we worked on magazines and before that they were famously not very supportive environments very hierarchical very cliquey for me very white culture of fear yeah culture of fear it was all run by fear it was incredibly toxic attracted I would say you know very bright people but also very broken people often who would, you know, externalise their pain. And the thing I think with having ADHD is that we can be very 
empathic, but we're also really easy to make a victim Mm -hmm. for a bully. And that's definitely happened in my career. When I look back, I feel incredibly angry at some of those experiences because there's no way I'd let myself go through that now. I'd be straight up to HR and I'd be like, I'm out. And I was going to say claim. Yeah. What would you do differently? Like with your diagnosis under your belt, what would you do differently if you could go back now 10 years? Yeah, I just wouldn't let myself be treated like that. And I think it, that comes, and this is one of the biggest things I've learned, I guess, in my life, is just it's that ability to go no and walk away, which is really hard, particularly when you've got financial worries and you've got, you know, a family to feed or, you know, you've got rent to pay, etc. It's really hard, but I think it's you've always got to value yourself more than you value the other thing. I think you've just got to prioritise yourself, and that's what I would do. And particularly with salaries as well, I always sort of felt, you know, I'd push for a higher salary because I knew how hard I worked and I knew how good I was, but didn't always get those salaries and there was definitely a point in one job where I should have walked away because actually the salary was just so much less than I was worth small talk as well I know that sounds like a ridiculous thing but small talk I think in offices and stuff is really hard because that's how people that's how neurotypical people connect so when you don't want to hear about someone's weekend I mean I don't really care about anyone's weekends I mean that in like the nicest possible way but I'm like I really want to know like how you're feeling or like like I just yeah, I find small talk quite hard. I'm definitely better on like a deeper level. Yeah, yeah. Which is a lot for a lot of people. <laughs> Not everyone wants to talk about their like deepest feelings at like 9am on a Monday morning. I get it. Um, I also love knowing what people are having for lunch. So I, I can do a little bit of small talk. <laughs> That's good. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Always want to know what people are eating. <laughs> well, fair enough. Same. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so excited to announce that this podcast is sponsored by the first makeup brand I ever bought as a teenager, Benefit Cosmetics. I saved up for Benetint for weeks, and that love remained strong when I became a beauty editor years later. Roller Lash is my absolute favourite mascara of all time. Gimme Brow Plus and Precisely My Brow are my go-to brow products, and I still use Benetint on the daily. Makeup is something I reach for to give myself a moment to ground, to breathe and be in my own thoughts for a minute just like my own personal form of meditation that happens to help make me feel fierce. Benefit has remained a mainstay in my own routine for more reasons than one. I love the way Benefit connects customers with amazing causes and today is amplifying various voices around neurodivergence. I'll be working with Benefit, not just on the podcast, but they've also asked me to explore how the Benefit counter experience can be more accessible to those with brains a bit like mine. I'll be sharing the ways we're working together and would love to hear your thoughts on this too. I still can't believe I'm launching Is It My ADHD with my OG beauty obsession at the heart.
I think it's it's about like forming connections is very difficult for someone with ADHD, right? And I cannot switch off the or I cannot switch on a filter that stops me from telling my boss that I'm on my period and I, do you know what I mean like I just I, I don't have it I just don't have it in me and I will say awful things that you know years later will haunt me and I'll just think Christ alive and you know when someone looks at you and because you know obviously ADHD has nothing to do with self-awareness you still have self-awareness in abundance you know that it's happening and you know that you're saying something maybe out of turn and you're just I just feel like I'm staring at that person's face reacting and knowing but I can't stop it it's just happening I feel like professionalism in quote marks in terms of societal expectations on how you behave at work I I struggle with those yeah that is really hard I think it can be really tiring as well I think for me I quite often was felt like I was playing a part and I used to wonder why I found launches and trips which Mm. is a big part of sort of fashion and beauty industry world I used to wonder why I found them so exhausting because realistically we were going to really nice places and stuff like that but it was just this constant Mm. having to make small talk having to be this professional and be part of the magazine and you know be an ambassador it was having to then try and get an exclusive from it it was trying to then take the best pictures for Instagram and then on top of that layered on top of that quite often was a whole level of like cliqueiness and all of that and trying to navigate all of that was just so wearing and I used to dread those trips unless I knew that my friends were going to be on them because I I knew I would just come away feeling awful and I did often and it was a real that was a bit of a turning point for me after a trip I just thought I don't want to do this anymore Mm. I I don't want to be treated like this this feels like mean girls at school and I just don't want this anymore but that sort of masking and having to like put on the mask to be this person and then this person and this person. That's so hard to keep up. And invariably you do slip. Mm. Often after a glass of wine or whatever, you just, it slips, it slips. Like there are so many, like you say, there's so many masks that you have to put on, particularly with it being kind of a creative industry that's, you know, your job weighs heavily on your um, creative output. Yeah, I I definitely really, I moved in, I moved up in the industry quite quickly as well. Getting the validation, I think, can be hard when you're not having someone write on your feature great work or because I still remember every time that that's happened and the sense that I felt or like the, I still kept all the emails I had from editors going, this is brilliant. You know, even if now I look back and I realise they weren't the best person, you know, or whatever, and I've got a bit of hindsight and separation. um, I've still kept all of those things. Taking criticism. Let's talk about that. Yeah, criticism is really tough. I remember every awful thing anyone has said to me oh, on the internet. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. my memory's terrible apart from for these things or like every bit of feedback. But I, I actually, because I think with journalism, you have to, you get so much feedback constantly. Mm. I've always been pretty good at taking that on features I've written or any work I've done because I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And I, I really and I really love that. And I, I've always wanted to be the best writer I can be. And I still try and learn. And I still try and take those things in. So, yeah, I think in that way, I've, I've been quite good with feedback. Because if it can make me better, if I know it's coming from a, a constructive place or I can learn something from it and someone is much more talented and more senior or better at that than me, then I've always been like, cool, cool, okay, great. This is actually great for me. I love this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd always keep a note of it so I could, like, remember it and, like, work it in. So I, was, I guess I was pretty diligent with that. But I think... I struggled when it was somebody editing me that I didn't have a huge amount of respect for or that I knew wasn't great at the job or not a great writer that I used to struggle with or I knew I was right. <laughs> oh, God, well, don't even. But, but also the, the other thing I was going to 
I mean, you just kind of segued beautifully into it is managing other people as someone with ADHD. And a friend of mine, Ao, was talking about just having so many ideas. He, sorry, he has ADHD. And it was just that he, you know, constantly has these amazing ideas and he, know that they'll, he knows that they'll work and stuff. But it was just in isolation, actually, he just couldn't, he couldn't move forward on anything because there was just too much of it. And he pointed out, which I just, I don't know why I just never even considered, but for him, it was having the right people around him. So the person that would go, okay, I love the idea. And actually, I would never have had that idea, but I can make that work in this way. And in practical terms, it means this kind of thing. And he was just like, the minute I met those people, I was just flying. And, you know, and that's an amazing thing. And I, but also how difficult to find those people who maybe even have to accept and accommodate your more challenging behaviors yeah I, I definitely think it's always worth asking though um i know at glamour we've both worked at different incarnations of glamour but when i spoke to my editor i was like i'm finding the office noise too much mm. she was fine with me working from home and this was before i had adhd i knew for mm. some reason that different people the pictures of different people's voices can really affect me yeah, and sometimes I just some people's voices I just can't listen to it's really bad that's okay <laughs> I know I know but the thing is I probably would get drunk and tell them anyway I would try not to um having a coach an ADHD coach has been really big for me mm. and it is having somebody who gets your challenges yeah but also can go, right, you've got to, you've put too much on your plate. I mean, I do this every morning where I start off with, right, here are my three big things. I know my goals. Here are my three big things. But before I know it, there's 50 things on my list for a day and I think I can do them all because I think they all feel urgent and they all feel like they need to be priorities. I just can't do them all. And it feels like that whole never-ending to-do list thing, which I've got quite badly. Mm. But yeah, having somebody that you can go, right, no, can you just look at this for me and what do you think it's really helpful and that might be a friend not i know not everyone's in the position to afford them and like a coach it might be a friend who's actually really good at these things and you know maybe you're really good at something else and you can do a skill swap the accountability piece is really good focus mate has been really good for me as well focus mates yes is that an app yeah well it's a sort of platform and it's free ish for the basic version where you say on a Monday morning at 9am you knew you needed to start work, but you find that really hard, which yeah. definitely happened to me. You would book in for a Focusmate session, somebody else and, and somebody else will be there as well, and you both work together. You like co-work digitally. Interesting. And you don't know who they are necessarily, but you can just be like, you basically just introduce yourself, mm. say what you're working on. They might be doing a, like a uni essay you're doing whatever you're doing and then you both work on that for an hour and then at the end of the hour you sort of check in and go okay so how are you doing wow it's quite good that body doubling thing is really big for a lot of people with ADHD I need loads of accountability I even told my book publishers luckily that I knew I had ADHD so I I was like right I need this so I need you to give me a weekly deadline or a monthly deadline I need Mm -hmm. deadlines otherwise you're not going to get anything. I think the body doubling. So just for anyone who's not aware, it's a very common trait in ADHD to be able to activate yourself when you're with someone else who's activating in the same way, right? So for example, cleaning your room will work best if someone else is already there doing it with you. Yeah. And that's something as a freelancer. I don't, I'm not sure that it's ever come into play for me particularly, but obviously if you are freelance and that is something that you benefit from, that sounds like an absolutely amazing solution to that kind of deficit in your life yeah I think it's really useful I know that I definitely need to get up and work Mm -hmm. on something that is a really good shout also if you want to work in a cafe with a friend I sometimes get a bit distracted by other people but 
it's I think it's really good to go right okay so let's work for an hour and then we'll have a five minute break Mm. you know and that's sort of how I structure my day at home anyway I use a time timer um, which is another great little device I really recommend I didn't really get the point of it when loads of people told me about it as a sort of ADHD device but it it helps you just see time Mm. in a way that I don't know for me timing can be quite tricky for me because I don't really understand like an hour and 10 minutes sort of feel like the same to me and I know a lot of us struggle with that so being able to see time has been really helpful I think it's it is definitely about accepting how it is going to affect the way you work accepting your expectations of how you ought to work and then finding something in the middle right that's that's doable and workable and won't leave you in a kind of totally defeated heap at the end yeah and knowing that that will probably change as well Mm, absolutely with the boredom piece you know your diary might work for a bit then then actually after a few months probably not going to work well and the other thing that will change i think as you as you get older as you have different hormonal surges is that boom and bust of you know being able to work flat out and loving that but then knowing that at the end of the day you're going to you know need to get that reality tv yeah hit and just not do anything else and also for the people around you to understand that that's how things are going to be you're not you know hating on anyone or trying to isolate for any reason other than that you have to for your own battery to kind of recharge after work yeah that's sort of all or nothing mm. I, I remember doing that so many times in my career where I would just stay up and cane things the night before a feature was due I did it with my MA dissertation I did it the <laughs> night like I pretty much did it for like like 48 hours mm. before it was due but I have to say as I've become older I find that really hard to do because I think I mm. valued the downtime and a bit more balance more than I ever did in the past so that yeah that becomes really hard I think just I can't believe that my relationship which then became a marriage I just I can't believe that those we've got through those initial months because I was just like on one with work I used to come home from London I commuted like an hour so that didn't help but I'd come home and he knew that I would just go straight into the bathroom and be in the bath for like an hour and I would offer nothing like there was no support from me whatsoever I don't know how he got through and was so kind of accepting of it but like fucking lucky that was bloody lucky because I was horrible to be around like monosyllabic exhausted like certainly not going to cook not going to clean anything I'm just I'm going to be in a pit of my own like misery (laughs) like you know until I go to work and then I'm going to be great again yeah it's funny isn't it like I think that burning out when you get home it's horrible and then not having anything to give I mean yourself let alone anything anyone else it's really hard but that but I I resent that so much more because now as a parent as well I was sort of offered a role to go back to London and be full time. And it would have been amazing. And it would have been where I had been heading, you know, all those years ago when I was an assistant. That's what I was aiming for eventually. I couldn't do it. And I knew I couldn't do it because I couldn't do that to my kid. But I also couldn't do it to myself knowing that I would I would have nothing left at any point. But that's frustrating because, we, sh- you know, not only are you talking about not being able to have it all or, you know, compromising to have the various different areas of your life fulfilled but also purely on an ADHD basis I fucking knew that I couldn't do it and I knew that the reason was I mean now I know it was ADHD yeah it's I think this comes back to the validation point actually because those things do validate you having this glamorous beauty like title of beauty director wherever is a validation and it makes you feel like you're okay and it makes you feel important and it sort of negates well it's sort of I guess sort of masks any low self-esteem for a while and I've definitely have felt like my job title at different points in my life where I felt like 
I was important because of this. And then you very quickly learn that when you're taken, when you, when you aren't that anymore, all of it was fake and it all sort of, you realize what was real. And, and I think, yeah, I, yeah, I guess for me personally, I knew that I was maybe hiding behind those job titles and those, those things. And actually I needed to be free and be unlimited and not be caged in a way that I had felt. It's acceptance, isn't it? As much as validation, I think you're looking for acceptance where you haven't felt it in other environments. And and this will be the thing that, you know, all those years of feeling this, this shame about something that you couldn't quite put your finger on. That's all wiped out when you're the beauty director and you've been given that role because you're trusted to be normal <laughs> and like and fabulous, you know. I always remember thinking as well when people were always like, oh my God, you've got such an amazing job. How glamorous, how cool. And then there was this sinking feeling where I was like, it doesn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, this doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like that on a day-to-day basis. And I do remember getting a really big job and I remember it was really funny I was sat at my desk and I think maybe like 25 bouquets of really insanely expensive beautiful flowers arrived one after one I remember sitting there thinking the thing I wanted to enjoy this moment so much and I'd really been looking forward to it but I just thought I was like this is going to be an uphill battle Mm -hmm. the amount that I knew I was going to have to carry the amount of overtime that all of it I just it was this sinking feeling Mm, I mean really if I look back I knew it wasn't right and I knew it was going to be too much. And it, mm-hmm. it, to be fair, you know, lots of those roles were too much for neurotypical people, let alone someone with ADHD. So I don't want to just be like, it was too much for me because I've got ADHD. It was just too much. And there was often too much pressure put upon people for sport. But often, just because I think there is that culture of pushing people in, in lots of different sort of industries and journalism is one of them. Well, and a reminder that you're lucky to be where you are. A constant reminder of how lucky you are. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so, so, so much for sharing your experiences it's been amazing to hear and also like selfishly incredibly helpful because obviously we went through so many of the same things i just it's like therapy talking to you about work it's really good which is why we do it so often very long voice notes which i love yeah (laughs) we now turn to an expert Today, it's Dr. Mohamed Abdelghani. He is a lead consultant psychiatrist specialising in adult ADHD, both for the NHS and at his private practice, Dyad Medical, in London. When it was first suggested that I might have ADHD, I wanted to find a psychiatrist that had run an NHS service and a private practice, just to make sure that they'd seen the full spectrum of what ADHD can look like in a woman. Dr. Mohamed Abdelghani was one of the first people I spoke to, and his kindness and openness immediately made me think of him for the podcast because I know that he'll offer so many of you such comfort. And so I'm so thrilled to have him here today to decipher, is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? Depending (laughs) how they broke the photocopier, uh, depending what was happening before then, uh, it won't do justice to people struggling with ADHD or uh, or ADHD as a disorder itself if we blame or try to understand everything through the lens of ADHD. I, I suppose I should rephrase the question as like, uh, is it when I break the photocopier with my shoe? Okay. <laughs> this makes it uh, more interesting. Uh, 
People with ADHD, uh, they get quite, uh, frustrated quite easily. I imagine using a photocopier if someone is not used to follow, uh, to use it a lot, maybe it needs to follow a lot of steps from a manual. People with ADHD struggle with this. Uh, it might mean that you need to multitask a little bit and do it while doing something else at work. They might be working under time pressure. They need to do something quite uh, quickly with the uh, photocopier. And then comes the impulsivity. So all what I've mentioned before, the three or four reasons I mentioned, they could be seen as features of ADHD. And then people with ADHD, they can lose their temper more easily. Uh, they're quite impulsive. They say things without thinking it's true or they do things without uh, thinking it's true. So someone else without ADHD, it might cross their head like, you know, this machine is really old. It's not working. I'm gonna bang it with my shoes, but they stop themselves from doing it. It's, uh, I see it if I want to see it in a visual way, as if uh, human beings in general, we have multiple f filters in our brain when uh, and uh, in our mind when we're dealing with the uh, other people and the social uh, and the society people with adhd as if some of these filters are not present or it might be leaking a little bit so you see more of the raw emotions and of uh, doing something without thinking uh, completely about the pros and cons of it so yes it might be part of their adhd we see a lot of anger management issues in people with adhd so yeah it, it might be that's the vindication that I was seeking. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and this community of amazing people. We'd love it if you could follow Is It My ADHD wherever you get your podcasts from. And now I'd love to hear from you. What other perspectives would you like to see explored in future episodes? Find me on Instagram at Is It My ADHD to continue the conversation.